evidence and answers. What can our students expect at the university? Why do so many Christian students abandon their faith after four years of college? The journey from high school to college can be one of the greatest transitions young people face in life. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucaran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on our show, Pat will continue on with his seminar on campus Christianity. Now with part two is our host, Pat. And often me and the professor and everyone else in the class, you know, often we had some very lengthy, intense discussions on some of the things that we were discussing there. Many students in the science class, you know, my wife is a medical doctor, and so she talks about, you know, in her chemistry class, the professor opened up and said, you know, if you believe in a God, you're going to have trouble in my class because Darwinism is the philosophy here, and Darwinism, we build our science on the facts of Darwinism. If you don't accept Darwinism, then you're going to have a lot of problems in my class, and to the rest of the science classes here at the university. So you might face a professor openly hostile like that or others just you maybe more subtle about it, but you just kind of sense that kind of antagonism there on the university campus. And that's because you're in an educational system built on the naturalist worldview that often sees Christianity or religion as something for the weak something that's even dangerous that's got to really be stomped out. Now, as a result of being built on the naturalist worldview, these are some of the dominant ideas on the university campus that you're going to run into. And if you buy into them fully, it can have a really corrosive effect on your faith. First, of course, is Darwinism. You know, Darwinism teaches that the origin of life and the diversity of life is the result of natural causes. There is no divine intelligence that created life or that is responsible for the design and the diversity of life that we see here. So there is no God. And so the belief in a God or intelligent creator, therefore, must be extinguished. So Darwinism is a dominant philosophy, not only in the sciences, but you'll see it carry over in the other arenas that you're going to study as well. Those of you going into psychology, sociology, economics, history, and others. The Darwin's philosophy is one of those overarching stories or meta-narratives we call, all right, meta-narrative or overarching stories okay, that often guides these academic fields. Next, there's humanism. You know, if there is no God, then man is the measure of all things. And if there is no God, then truth is created by man. Man is the measure of truth. And there is no law above man. So man determines right and wrong. And you end up in moral relativism. Salvation is in our hands. Man must save himself. Therefore, Eternal life is found in the sciences. We're going to find a way to cure all disease and through genetic engineering and medical technology and other, we're going to have eternal life. And through proper teaching in philosophy, you know, getting rid of religion and getting everyone trained in the right philosophy and right economic system, we're going to bring peace to the world. 
kind of thing. So salvation is in our hands. And religion or belief in God is something for the weak and needs to be eliminated. All right. So that's basically humanism. That leads as to another dominant idea I briefly mentioned, the relativism of truth. Truth doesn't originate with God. If there is no God, truth originates with man. Truth is created then by a culture or an individual. And that's what our modern philosophy classes teach. Truth is not outside of us and we discover it and conform to it. You know, what's taught at the university now is called postmodern or continental philosophy. And that teaches that truth is created in the mind and reality conforms to the truth that we create. That's the whole transgender debate. Am I what my biological, physical design says I am? Or am I what I think I am? If I'm biologically male, but I think I'm a woman, then reality conforms to the image that I have created in my mind. All right. And that's what modern philosophy teaches. And that's why philosophy, you know, modern philosophy has gone wrong. That's why a lot of our young people take philosophy 101. They come out really twisted in their thinking. They're given a new definition of truth. So truth is relative. There's no God. Therefore, there cannot be a, a word of God or a son of God. Truth is relative, created by the culture or the individual. And that leads to the next dominant idea of moral relativism. There's no absolute or universal moral law that everyone is under. It's the individual or the cultural group that determines right and wrong. And that's what you're seeing in the United States today, right? If there is no universal moral law that we are under, how do we determine right from wrong? Well, it's the group that is the strongest, the most dominant. Might makes right. All right? And that's when then a nation divides into what we call tribal warfare. Each group trying to determine or gain its dominant position so they can determine what's right and what's wrong. If there is no universal moral law that we are agreed to, that we know that we are under, if there is no God, there's no universal moral law of God, we each determine right and wrong and then the one who's in power is going to determine right and wrong. Might makes right and you're going to end up in tribal warfare and that's the decline of a civilization and the fall of a nation. Right? So moral relativism. So you'll see things being taught like homosexuality is normal. In fact, you should experiment with the gay community. Transgenderism is normal. If there is no universal moral law of God, then pretty much man, each individual or culture determines right and wrong. So moral relativism is an ideology dominant on the university campus. Religious pluralism Religious pluralism teaches that all religions are equally valid and true and therefore Christianity is dangerous because it claims that it is true and that others are false. So that's one of the reasons people on the university campus see Christianity as not only wrong but that it is a dangerous and quote intolerant religion and one that is the cause for so much hostility and wars on the university campus and around the world. And then another dominant idea you're going to see is that the naturalist understanding of human nature. Man is only a material being. 
So man is basically good. We're simply complex animals. And therefore, you know, we're basically good or we're, we're neutral. It's outer factors that make us bad. This concept of human sinfulness then is absent. And you'll see what you're seeing played out today that really there are no differences between men and women. Nor are there, you know, defined roles for the sexes. And so that's why the Bible is often attacked with such hostility because the Bible teaches men and women are different, designed by God, different physically, spiritually, emotionally, you know, mentally, in every way. We're equal in nature. We're both created in the image of God, Genesis 1.26. But we are different. And God has given us different roles to fulfill his mandate for men and women together. Right, but many find that offensive there on the university campus. I remember on the university campus, I remember opening the door for a woman and she looked at me with such, and she was going to kill me. And she said, if you ever do that again, I'm going to kick your blankety blank, you know? <laughs> and so I learned chivalry is dead on the university campus. I remember at a dinner, we were talking about sports and we're talking about uh, collegiate sports and men and women sports teams. Boy, everyone on that table, men and women, were so offended when I said men and women are different. And boy, they were so upset, screaming and yelling at me at that dinner table saying, you know, whatever a man can do, a woman can do, whatever a man. And I said, well, how many women do you see on the men's PGA tour? And they started screaming and saying, well, it's going to be 50% women. You'll see someday. And I said, we've had a lot of great women, you know, on the LPGA tour. And I'm sure those women could beat me. But all things being equal, the man has the advantage just because he's physically stronger. Boy, that got them so upset. And I said, well, how many women do you see in NFL football? And they got so upset. And they were screaming and yelling and throwing stuff at me. And I said, look, I mean, just physically, there's a difference here. And boy, that really got them upset. I think that what set it off was we were talking about wrestling, men's wrestling, and I talked about how great it would be to have a women's wrestling division, and they got really upset, and that's you know that's when I started saying, well, men and women are different. That really got them set off. The naturalist position on human nature is what you'll see, and the idea of the sinfulness of mankind is completely absent. That's what makes the difference between. Christian psychology and regular psychology and studies in sociology and economics and the concept, the biblical concept of the sinfulness of men and women is absent. So those are some of the challenges to the mind you're going to get there on the university campus. And then, of course, it's a place of moral challenge where your values are seriously going to be challenged because what dominates the university campus is what? Moral relativity. That there is no universal moral law that we all are to abide by. All right, So right and wrong are determined by the individual or whatever club or group the person belongs to. And that leads to the whole idea of the new tolerance. And I've done several seminars on that that you can listen to at Evidence and Answers. The new tolerance teaches that all lifestyles, values, and belief systems are equally valid and true. So to identify a belief or lifestyle as being wrong or an error, 
That is to be intolerant. Okay, and that's the worst thing you can be on the university campus. And that's when you get all kinds of negative labels thrown at you. You know, racist, bigot, narrow-minded. Uh, all those negative, you're immediately thrown all those negative titles. If you believe there's an absolute standard of right and wrong given to us by a divine moral law giver. So since there's moral relativity and the new tolerance, of course, then sexual promiscuity, of course, is rampant on the university campus. Talk to any nurse or doctor that serves at a clinic there on the university campus. You know, and that's exacerbated by the lifestyle there on the university campus. You have co-ed dorms. And when I say co-ed dorms, I don't mean guys on one floor and girls on the other. When we're talking co-ed dorms, we're talking... On the same hallway, it's guy-girl, guy-girl, guy-girl in the dorms. And in other more radical university campuses, you'll have dorms where you could select co-ed bathrooms and co-ed showers. And the hallways or dorms are monitored by the RA, the resident assistant, who is also an immature student as well, usually an upperclassman. And you have fraternities led by fraternity leaders who are also fellow students. So it's a very immature kind of atmosphere there that is really promoting this kind of sexual promiscuity. You have professors who teach a moral relativity who also promote this kind of sexual experimentation and promiscuity. Not only that, you have unrestricted internet access now, many of you that are looking at the Internet now, your parents probably have filters on the Internet or they say, you know, if, if you're going on the Internet, go on it here in the kitchen or in the living room where we can see what's going on. However, at the university, you don't have that anymore. And, you know, I've talked to hundreds of students, many of them addicted to pornography and asked them, when did it start? And many of them will point to the days at the university where they had unrestricted access to the Internet and no accountability, no filters of any kind there on their computer there. And there you're going to have the fastest Internet access that probably you'll ever have. And you have this idea being promoted that you can have sex with no consequences, which is absolutely wrong, all right? There's no such thing as sex without consequences. Immorality going up against God's moral law code especially something in the sexual area that is so valued by God and so valuable for individuals, you're going to pay a tremendously high price if you give away your virginity and compromise yourself like that at the university campus. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 3 through 6 says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow to the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And what the Bible is, is saying here is that the sexually immoral the woman here is he pointing out specifically, but the sexually immoral person, very enticing. And they may entice you with their words and with their appearance, but it's a double-edged sword. And if you compromise your values and your faith, 
and your virginity. You've got a tremendous price to pay. The emotional damage, the spiritual damage, the mental damage that will be caused is something that you're going to carry for the rest of your life. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27 through 29 says, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. You know, if you're jumping into bed with someone that you're not going to marry, it's, you're not committed in a marriage relationship, you're sleeping with someone else's husband, with, with someone else's wife. There's a tremendous, tremendous price to pay for that. And you see it in the high divorce rate that follows and many difficulties that come in marriage later on in life. Trust is damaged. The mental scarring that occurs. Sex loses its excitement because you've given yourself away so many times before. And you don't know how many couples my friends and I counsel. And a lot of it is because they compromised there in their collegiate days. All comes back around. There's a young girl I met in college. Her father was a pastor. So she knew the Christian lingo. And I thought she was committed to Christ. Uh, we went to church together several times. And we started getting to know each other. But then, you know, she'd be saying things and acting in ways that I thought was quite strange you know after a lot of emotional turmoil and you know as we were getting what I thought we were getting closer she was acting kind of strange so it was kind of an emotionally uh, difficult time wondering why she she would act the way that she did certain times and promised to meet me at the library and wouldn't be there and kind of things well Christian brother finally you know had enough courage to come and talk to me and he said and enough love and concern for me he said hey why why are you going out with this girl i said well she's christian seems like a real nice girl he goes yeah but she's sleeping around with a couple other guys here at the university and i was like what and so i stormed over to her dorm room and she wasn't there but her roommate let me in so i came in and as i looked you know on her bed there were posters of these scantily clad men in their not even jockey shorts. Well, whatever. You get the picture. I knew what I was dealing with then, and I realized, you know what? This is not the kind of person that uh, I want to be involved with. And so I left, and I cut off that relationship. Well, near the end of the year, she got a, a form of STD. Maybe it was the human papilloma virus or whatever it may be. Some form of STD, and she had to return back home. And later on, I found out she had you know, some serious surgery and eventually beat that very serious form of cancer. But, you know, had I gotten involved, I may not be alive to this day. But, of course, as fate would have it, we both came back home here to the same hometown to work. And guess what? We ran into each other. Well, she's been divorced twice. When I look at her, I can look at her right in the eye and say, Hi, how are you doing? I can see that she's troubled and often avoiding me, looking in another direction and say, oh, I'm busy. I got stuff to do. But I can look at her straight in the eye because I did not compromise my integrity there. But there's someone who has. And why do you want to live like that? There are other men on the golf team who compromised their integrity, you know, and were living the licentious life with other women and things and sexually involved with other women. We'd go on golf trips and a lot of people on the golf team hated that Pat Zuckerman would make the traveling squad, and I often did. 
and no one wanted to room with me, so I often had to room by myself. And it was kind of a lonely time, but one of the things that you have to be ready to do as a disciple of Christ is often you're going to have to courageously stand alone sometimes. And they go out on their escapades and get sexually involved with women, go to their parties and all those things. Well, you know, as fate would have it, I'm, I speak in California quite a bit. I remember running into some of these players, whether it was at church or at a conference, whatever, and I see them with their wife and they kind of look at me and I say, hi. I go up to them and say, hi. I look them right in the eye and they, they can't look at me. You know, they're kind of like, hey, 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 that's bad. We played golf together and they quickly scuffle their family away. Why is that? Well, because I know stuff that they don't want their wives or children to know. You know, they don't want me to spill the beans on them or anything. Well, what a way to live, to live in that kind of fear that your past is going to be found out. Or with that kind of embarrassment that you didn't have the courage and you gave up your convictions. Or you didn't wait for your wife, gave away your virginity freely and loosely. Will she find out? Will my kids find out? I mean, what a way to live. I'm glad I don't have that bothering my conscience for the rest of my life. And those who never compromise there in their collegiate years can also live with that kind of boldness and integrity. And you don't have to cover up that kind of dark past. I look at some of the adults here. Some of these guys or women, you know, travel on their jobs. So when they're gone for a week, whether on mission or on a job, their wife is back here at home by herself. If she compromised or he compromised his sexuality there at the collegiate level, what are they thinking? Hey, my husband John is at that nice hotel at that convention, you know, by himself. There's going to be a lot of women around. Is he going to be faithful? It's 9 o'clock. I haven't received a call from him yet. Uh, he wasn't faithful in college. Could he be playing around on me? Oh, that's a nightmare for a woman to live with while her husband's traveling for a week, you know, or maybe the John, you know, sitting there going, hey, my wife's home alone. You know, she might be going out with the girls. Well, what are they doing? She was kind of loose in college. Man, is she faithful? I, I called home and she didn't answer the phone. Uh, is, is she out with a guy? I mean, wow, what a way to live. But if you are faithful and uncompromising in your young adult years from college and on, when you get married, you have that kind of trust that you don't have to be haunted by that kind of nightmare when you have to be separate for a little while. Or, you know, if you're at a restaurant, John and Sally, his wife, they're eating dinner and Sally's old friend, Fred, comes by the table and says, hey, Sally, how you doing? Long time no see. And they're kind of chatting. And what's John, the husband, thinking there? Hey, Sally's kind of talking to him. It, it's been about three minutes here. They're kind of getting a little close here oh did, did she have an affair with this guy and I, I know she had a few escapades in her college years is this one of those guys i mean what a terrible way to live what a terrible kind of relationship or past to have haunting you while you're going in your marriage years so if you don't compromise your sexuality and you live according to god's law and you stand uncompromisingly on god's word and god's promises i tell you what it pays Big dividends, big dividends later on in your life. It's going to pay absolutely huge. That's why young men and women who do it God's way have much better and much stronger marriages. Because if you don't compromise in your young adult days, that sets the pattern for the rest of your life. 
So you got moral challenges, and then you have spiritual challenges. All right, there's the pressure to conform to your peers and to the culture around you, and that's what you're going to have for the rest of your life. The culture is going to try to squeeze you into its mold. And it's particularly intense there at the university campus because many times, you know, you're alone, you're an adolescent, you're impressionable, you're looking for that role model, you want friends. And so that pressure to conform can be a lot more intense. Religion is seen for the weak. You're surrounded by an anti-God lifestyle and often extreme lifestyles. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts, like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners, or the opportunity to donate. Head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. That's honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuccaran. <laughs> 